Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Despite how much pilots like to talk about being pilots, when you start your flight training, you still really don't know what to expect. You don't know what you don't know. Uh, today, we're talking about the 10 things we wish we knew before starting flight training. Yeah, and at the very top of my list, I really wish I knew how much maintenance it takes to keep these planes up in the air. The odds are when you're booked three to four days a week, you're going to be canceled for anything like 100-hour inspections, annuals, squawks, and from normal wear and tear on the plane. Sometimes, though, the maintenance can be delayed for a week or two um, while the mechanics wait for parts, or your favorite plane can be down, and it'll put you out or make you switch to another plane. And something I really wish I knew about and just had an expectation of when I went into my flight training and something that I want student pilots to really understand is that when the plane's down, the plane's down. Uh, It's for maintenance reasons. It's not something that you can you can handle. And the mechanics are doing their absolute best to get that plane back up in the air. But for some of these older planes, they have to wait for parts uh, coming from absolutely anywhere. And it takes time to put these planes back together and make sure they're absolutely okay to fly again. Yeah, and sometimes brand new planes are even down for maintenance. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a 2022 or 2023 that's uh, coming out right now. Uh, I know that some of the brand new Cessnas for the past couple of years have had problems with their avionics, and they've been down for, for weeks or months at a time. So it doesn't matter even if they're a 50-year-old plane or a brand new airplane. Maintenance can still take you down, and uh, and it's for safety. I mean, you you take the planes down strictly for safety, which is which is why we're in aviation. We want to focus on safety and we want to make sure that we're safe in the air and the people on the ground are also safe. For number two though, uh, most schools actually don't use a syllabus or use it correctly. Um, But all schools that partner with uh, Stratus Financial actually do. So if you're ever looking for a a really top-notch school to go to, make sure you hit up Stratus and ask them if they have any recommendations for your area. But there's the reason why it's really important that somebody uses a syllabus is you want to know exactly what lesson you're on, what you're working on, and what items you're working on to build up to your next step in flight training. So obviously, one of the major steps uh, in flight training is soloing. You want to build up to solo. And then another major step is cross-country flying. So you want to build up to cross-country, then cross-country solo, and then check ride prep, and then take your check ride. Those are all the major things. Now, a, a well-defined syllabus, and there's some main ones out there, Glime, Jeppesen, and also ones that your school may have uh, created on their own. And sometimes they do some of those things uh, in a different order as well. Like you could solo after you do cross-country stuff. But in general, those are all the things you need to do before you get to a check ride. But if you don't have a syllabus, you may not know not know where you're at in your flight training. And it's really important that you know and that your instructor knows. And more importantly, your school and their management know uh, where you're at. That way they can get you completely finished up in a uh, well-defined way. And I absolutely agree. That's part of the reason that I really loved doing uh, part 141 for my private pilot training is I knew exactly what we were doing the next day. I had a copy of my syllabus. I knew where I was at, what I was working on and what was coming next. And there wasn't any hiding uh, what was going to happen in that flight. We went over it before the flight every day and just having that structure, it keeps you up to date and it keeps you motivated too, because you know what's coming next. You know where you are, how close you are to solo, solo cross country and your check ride. And it's really just awesome. 
And for part three, I didn't realize how hard it would be to look outside. I know it sounds kind of silly to a lot of people that aren't pilots, you know, used to driving a car, used to looking outside the whole time. But when you're flying an airplane, you're really focused on what the instruments are telling you. Especially as a student pilot, you're really focused on making sure you're exactly the right altitude. The plane's not turning even a little bit. And looking outside is a really big thing. Uh, It's difficult for a lot of students, and especially during maneuvers. Even steep turns, stalls, turns around a point even. I would look inside more than outside. And you have to get a feel for the visual references outside by looking at the mountains, looking at landmarks down below, looking at little islands if you're doing uh, turns around a point around the lake, like at Lake Matthews during my flight training. And getting that feel for those visual references outside, uh, even flying by the seat of your pants and understanding just by the pressure on what, you know, left the right side of your body, feeling the pressure, knowing how much rudder to put in. That's just going to make you understand that you have to keep scanning for traffic. You have to just be a safer pilot. And becoming a student pilot, you just have to really pay a lot of attention to the outside, even more so than the inside. And safety-wise, not everyone has ADSB, and not everyone has ADSB out, and you might not even have ADSB in in your flight training. And that's just going to tell you where the other planes are around you and just going to make you a safer pilot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think looking outside is super, super important. There's not enough... Uh, looking outside and in, in flight training and and students tend to either look outside too much or too little and there's a there's a happy middle so just make sure you listen to your flight instructor uh, regarding uh, when when that should be and for ADSB in and out that's also big too because everyone thinks everybody is required of ADSB because ADSB was required in 2020 but no that's not true there's most of the United States, you're actually not required to have ADSB out and you're not required to have ADSB in at all. So uh, to learn more about ADSB, you can look it up online and we'll probably do a full episode about transponders and ADSB and stuff in the future. Um, but it's really important and it's a really a great safety mechanism we have in the places that are required to have it, such as a lot of places in Southern California. Uh, number four on our list is actually securing funding uh, to become a pilot. Um, as we all know, becoming a pilot is not cheap by any means. Uh, it's quite expensive. Um, the cheapest places around the U.S. right now to get a pilot certificate are like $7,000, and that's for a private pilot. And some of the most expensive are up to 30000 And I would say that uh, probably the national average is somewhere around between ten and 18000 kind of depending on what kind of airplane you use. If you use brand new Cirruses and Diamonds, or if you use uh, 50 or 60-year-old 172s, which is, there's nothing wrong with either one. It's just you pay for newer or you you don't pay for, for a little bit older airplane. Um, but luckily, uh, the person who actually uh, helps our podcast out and makes sure that we have the resource to do it is Stratus Financial. And they're actually able to help uh, partner schools and non-partner schools alike uh, to get your you as a student funding. Uh, they can fund all the way from zero all the way up to hero. So if you want to get your, your private, your instrument, your commercial, multi-commercial, CFI, double I, MEI, they can fund all of those. And I know they've got quite a few partner schools across the U.S., and they fund their entire programs. Uh, I think the their average program that they fund is somewhere around $80,000 a year, uh, but they fund some some schools at $120,000 for, for their programs, and uh, other schools have, have cheaper ones. Uh, but it kind of depends on uh, what you're looking for and, and what parts of the country you live in and what kind of airplanes you want to fly, of course. Uh, but securing funding and knowing that you have the funds prior to, to flight training is probably the most important. There's a lot of people that feel that they can just start flight training and 
it's only they they save their ten thousand dollars and that's their whole rainy day fund uh, to get their private pilot certificate. But what they don't realize is maybe they take a little bit longer to to get done and they need a little bit more money. Uh, so they end up having to quit right at the tail end, right before they get their check ride, or they don't uh, remember. Hey, I gotta I gotta spend six eight uh, or a thousand dollars on a check ride, depending on where you live. Um, so make sure that you have the funding set up, um, whether it be savings, whether it be credit cards, whether it be um, debt, whether it be Stratus Financial, whatever it may be, make sure you have that funding set because you don't want to start and then you waste all of that time and money um, and you can't finish. So that's really, really important. And part five, I never thought CFIs would really be as young as most of them are. When you think of teachers, you typically think of older adults who are at the end of their career and just trying to pass on their knowledge down to the next generation of whatever they're doing. And while some CFIs may be retired military or airline pilots, many, if not most of them, are younger pilots on their way to the airlines. And it does seem kind of backwards in our industry, but the CFIs are really current, they're fresh, and they're just really prepared in their knowledge. Because just a few years ago, or even a few months ago for some of them, they were in your shoes, and they know what it takes to pass the check ride. And most importantly, they know what it takes to keep you safe because they're currently doing it. And uh, especially concerning you know your private instrument commercial, since these pilots just touched on these. And while you get a little bit different knowledge from the younger versus the older pilots, a lot of the same stuff that you're really focusing on is still there. And if you listen to one of our last episodes about becoming a CFI, you'll know that becoming a certified flight instructor is no easy task. And as most of these CFIs know, they absolutely have what it takes to teach you how to fly. Absolutely. I remember uh, my flight instructor was only like a year older than me when I first started flying in my my 20s. And uh, I was really perplexed by it. Uh, but he was a fantastic instructor. I'm grateful for everything he taught me. And I've flown with uh, countless flight instructors as of now. And uh, every single time I fly with a new one, I learn something something new, either young or old. It doesn't matter. Uh, but like Carson was saying, those young guys are fresh out of school. They know exactly what they're doing and, and what the FAA and the testing is looking for. So it's it's a really, really cool thing that we get to fly with uh, people who are so current and been doing it so recently. Uh, but number six on our list uh, is most of the planes that you fly are not brand new ones. Uh, I remember when I was learning to fly, I thought I was going to go step into like a, a 2020 airplane, uh, like brand new airplane. And it just doesn't happen. I mean, a brand new 172 costs over half a million dollars. Um, some of the brand new Pipers are a little less than that. Uh, some of the light sports are considerably less than that. They're somewhere around the $200,000 range. And some of those will be either brand new or just three, four, five years old. But maintenance allows us to keep up with these airplanes. So that's why you can fly a 50, 60, 70-year-old 172 and it still feel like brand new. Uh, these aircraft that we're flying, especially in flight training, they have to get 100-hour inspections. So every 100 hours, they basically get taken apart and put back together. Um, they get checked out. They get uh, regular maintenance done to them all the time. And it's not like a car. If you if you wanted to go fly or drive a 50-year-old vehicle, uh, obviously, it probably hasn't been kept up with maintenance. It probably hasn't had engine rebuilds quite as often as it should. It hasn't had the suspension all fully gone through, things like that. But on an airplane, it has. It's had an engine gone through. It's had either a new propeller or a propeller has been worked on. Um, the, the wings and, and the rest of the aircraft, all the inspection panels have been opened and looked for corrosion. And, um, if it did have corrosion, it's been treated, not like an old car. Um, so it's totally different flying an old airplane versus driving an, an old car. So be ready when you get to your flight school that the airplane may be 30, 40, 50 years old. That's normal. And, uh, maintenance is the key to longevity of these aircraft. And 
I mean, my oldest airplane I've owned was a 1946. Uh, so that is over 70 years old. And I, I really want to fly like a really, really old airplane, like a Sopwith Camel or something uh, from like World War One. I. I think that would be really, really neat. And I'm sure one, one day I will. Um, but when I do fly that airplane, I'm going to have the full confidence that it will fly amazing or maybe not amazing for, but amazing for its day. And uh, I'll be really excited to fly that airplane knowing that it's likely been well-maintained for almost a hundred years at this point. And even if you are flying these older airplanes or even the newer ones, the, the really big thing is you have to manage your expectations. And while we live in a world where you get what you want when you want it, there's instant credit card approvals, same day shipping, instant access to pretty much any kind of media we would like. Uh, it might not always be maintenance related, like how we talked about. A lot of times people learn how to fly in places that are a little too cloudy, a little too cold, too rainy, too snowy. Even in you know, sunny Southern California where it's perfect to flight train, sometimes just too sunny and too hot to fly. And sometimes we get covered in that marine layer in June. And it's really just important to know when you're going into flight training, you have to manage your expectations. And sometimes you might not always get the flight training you want when you want it, even if it's scheduled even if it's planned, even if it's a check ride, it might not happen when you want it and exactly how you want it. And there's just one thing that's absolutely key to aviation. And the only real known thing about aviation is that it's not really known. It's nothing's guaranteed and you can't rush aviation. And CFIs can get sick, planes can break down, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a stopper for you. Just because it's a couple of times, even a couple of times in a row, something might happen where it just stops your flight train for the day. That doesn't mean it's the end. It doesn't mean it's a sign that you shouldn't be flying. It just means that you got some bad luck and it's just the way aviation goes. And this will happen to you no matter where you train, who you train with or what you train in. Yeah. It doesn't even matter if it's a brand new airplane. Uh, I know, I think it was in 2021. Uh, there was, there's a really well-known school that was having, that has a ton of brand new Cessnas. They bought a bunch of them straight from the factory and they were having avionics issues from like day one. I also know somebody, another another flight school that is a collegiate program, and they brought brand new Pipers, and they had problems with the gear on them. They had problems with the seats on them. They had problems with all sorts of things. So even brand new airplanes have maintenance events, and it's normal. Uh, it's unfortunate, but these airplanes are pretty much handmade. I mean, they are made through factories, but it's not a factory precision like a like a car is because they're not mass producing them on that level. They're They're making several thousand of them, but they're not making a million cars uh, or a million airplanes. So you have to keep that uh, really in mind as you're, as you're flying. And of course, weather's always going to screw with us, especially if we live in the, uh, the Northeast or something like that. Uh, number eight is learning how to fly is a new language. It really is. I mean, you went from speaking uh, regular English to aviation English, essentially. Uh, you have to learn what Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, all of these things even mean and why we're talking in a new alphabet <laughs> um, and why we're saying numbers like tree is the number three and niner is the number nine. Like, why are we saying these things in these ways? And uh, how do we read METARs? Those, that's a whole different language that you're reading there or TAFs or PIREPs and then knowing all these acronyms. So you're really learning how to, how to speak a new language and Besides that, also you're flying in three dimensions. It's not 
normal for you to pull up and go up and push down and go down and and use your left and right rudder pedal to control yaw. That's not a normal thing that you do every day. We're all used to driving cars, uh, but we're not used to flying airplanes unless you grew up with them and you were blessed enough to be able to do it at a very young age. It's probably not a normal thing until you get into your teens or 20s or or all the way up to your 70s. It doesn't matter. Um, But I will say is learning to fly is progressively harder the older you get. Uh, So somebody who is 18 years old and just graduated high school is going to have a a lot easier time in most circumstances. Of course, there's exceptions to every rule. But in most circumstances, they're going to have an easier time learning how to fly. And they're probably going to solo earlier, depending on the program they're in, of course, or do their cross countries earlier or do their check ride at a lesser time than somebody, say, in their 40s, 50s or 60s. And somebody who's a little bit older and learning to fly in their 40s, 50s, 60s or even 70s. Um, I've had a few students that are that are in their early 70s and they're learning to fly. It's going to take everybody who's a little bit older a lot longer. I tell everyone every decade that you are older, it's probably going to take you another 10 hours than the average average person uh, takes to either solo and or get your check ride done. It's just we're not wired the same as we were when we were children and we don't learn the same way. It's just like somebody who's five years old and they learn a uh, another language. They learn Spanish or they learn uh an Asian language or, or really anything in the world. But when you get a little bit older, it's really hard. I know I've been trying to learn Spanish for most of my entire life and I can barely speak it. Uh, and when I do barely speak it, it's not well. So it's really difficult. I was lucky enough. I started learning how to fly in my twenties. So it came a lot quicker and a lot easier for me, but I know if I would start right now, it'd be a little bit more difficult. So learning how to, how to fly is really a new language to anybody. So just be ready that it's going to take a little bit of extra time, be patient with the process, and most of all, enjoy the process of learning to fly and learning that new language because it's not going to be there forever. I miss those days of learning to fly. And uh, that's why I like to do new ratings and and hopefully I'll get a, a jet rating or something in 2023. I think it'll be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm just hoping to get my instrument in 2023. <laughs> and we'll see. And I, like most student pilots, didn't really understand how important ground school is. I figured it was just like reading a textbook or just like going through uh, driving school when I learned how to drive. But your ground school, whether it's online or with the CFI or a mixture of both, is where you gain pretty much all the critical knowledge that you need for your aviation career. Ground school teaches you all the integral parts like weather, instruments, airspace, aerodynamics, safety, federal aviation regulations, really just everything that you need to know. And I put off my ground school for months because I was bored of reading and watching boring videos about it. And it wasn't until I had to stop my flight training for about a month to solely catch up and finish my ground school to take my written that I realized how much it could slow you down or hurt your flight training by not doing it sooner. And when I went through it all, I realized just how much knowledge that I'd missed. Just knowledge that I really just could have used during my flight training whether it was about the weather and reading the METARs, I wouldn't have struggled with that before the pre-flights. Or if it was aerodynamics and understanding how stalls work and why I kept turning. And it's just stuff that I really could have used during my flight training. And aside from that, it's a lot of stuff that keeps you safe. When you go through your ground school, you go through all sorts of safety things, whether with the plane and emergency situations, or even just pilot safety, like we did an episode about uh, a couple weeks ago. But ground school is a really important part of your flight training that you shouldn't put off. Uh, It's not something necessarily you have to finish completely before you start your flight training. Definitely something you can do concurrently, but it's definitely something you don't want to put off. Carson, you're 100% right. Ground school is 
one of the most important things in learning to fly and uh, do what he said. Make sure you don't put it off. Um, I tell everybody, and I think I've said this in previous episodes, if you fly two to three times a week and you study, and this is the second part of that, that everyone always overlooks or doesn't listen to, or you study 15 minutes a day, you'll get your private pilot certificate within 90 to 100 days, within three months. But it's really key. You must study a minimum 15 minutes per day uh, to be able to pull that off. And if you miss a day, that means the next day you got to do 30 minutes. And if you miss two days, 75 or uh, uh, 45 minutes. So you're going to have to keep on going. Uh, but really, it's best keep up your, your training and keep on learning how to do all the ground stuff. And most of all, you need to listen to your school. If your school tells you you need to do five hours a day, do five hours. Um, if you're listening to me and you're just doing this for fun, do it for 15 minutes. And that's perfect for you. Um, Number 10, our final one, uh, whether getting your rating, private pilot, instrument, commercial, it's an awesome achievement that you should be totally and completely proud of, but it doesn't mean you know everything there is to know. Uh, earning your certificate means you have so, so much more to learn. You'll get into situations after your pilot certificate uh, where you're pushed beyond your limits, so you'll learn much more in those situations. I remember a couple times where I was pushed past my limits um, with turbulence. Uh, I didn't know that an airplane can get flipped halfway sideways uh, while flying at night, um, not instrument rated in the middle of the desert. Uh, that's a pretty challenging situation that happened to me. I think when I had 65 or 70 hours and I'm a pretty fresh private pilot at that point. Um, I've also read a lot of books and uh, there's one that I like in particular. It's called Telling is Not Teaching. And it's a, uh, it's written by a flight instructor and every flight instructor I ever meet or I mentor, I make sure I give them that book and I tell them, Hey, you have to read this book. It'll change the way that you, you teach because teaching's a kind of an art. Um, and that's why not everyone's a great teacher, uh, but there's a lot of great pilots in the world. Uh, so regardless, make sure you continue continuously learn. Uh, if you see any aviation books, uh, go get them, go read them. There's another one called stick and rudder. I think it's 10 or $20 on Amazon. Go download that or download it or buy it. It's a great, great book. I'm not sure who, who wrote it, but it's fantastic. Uh, I have it in my office right now. I, I just can't reach it with the uh, microphone on my hand, but all of these, uh, all of these things are fun to do. And, and after you learn how to fly and don't just go for the private instrument commercial, go get your tailwheel and go get your seaplane rating and, uh, go fly float planes and, and, and do all the things that, that make aviation fun. I know next year it's not a rating or endorsement, but I really want to fly an airplane on skis. So I think I'm going to go do that. That would be awesome. And flight training is really the time of your life. And just like Brandon said, he misses it. And there's nothing like going to the airport, sitting down with your CFI, going over the syllabus, doing your weight and balance, checking the weather, pre-flighting, and then just going up in the air and taking in and learning everything you can from that CFI. It's a really exciting part, and I don't want you to forget that. And you know, while you may be in it for the crazy amount of money that these airline pilots are making now, uh, which we're definitely going to do an episode on soon, don't worry. But even if you're in it for that, there's still a reason that you started doing it, and there's still a reason you keep doing it, and it's for the fun. And the really exciting part is the flight training, and it can be tough, and most people aren't really appreciative of it, appreciative of it until they're well beyond their flight training and looking back. And I know I'm, I'm in my shoes. I have my private and this whole next year ahead of me. I've got a lot that I want to do and I'm really excited for it. And I don't want to take that for granted. And I hope today's podcast makes you more aware of what's to come with your flight training. And if you're finished with your flight training, I hope you're able to look back and reminisce and appreciate what an awesome time that flight training was for you. I'm sure going to do that, Carson. 
If you'd like to reach out to either one of us, you can definitely reach me at Twitter. I'm very active on there lately. Or on Instagram, at MrMartiniGuy. Or you can reach Carson at Carson underscore AV17. And as a wrap-up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride.